Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. When Andrew introduces me, I always imagine he's saying, and the Academy Award goes to? Just gets me up. <laughs> Keep imagining. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see, uh, see all of you. Uh, before I get into my talk, I want to uh, re-emphasize one of the uh, announcements regarding our need for teachers and assistants uh, for our kids' ministry. Uh, over the last, well, couple months or so, we've had many weekends where we've had to turn kids away uh, because we're full, didn't have enough teachers or assistants. And we don't want to do that. Uh, our goal as we move towards the summer is to actually open more uh, classes up for our kids uh, but the way it's going right now, we may need to actually scale back our classes. Obviously, we don't want to do that, so we need you. If you've ever considered getting involved, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to invest in, in young lives. Uh, we will, <coughs> excuse me, we will train you for the task. We'll do our best to be sensitive to your schedule. We'll even give you a free background check uh, if you sign up. So if that's you, please, uh, after the service, if you go around this way, our kids ministry, our wing over there, uh, go see Erica, our kids pastor, or you can go to vcdc.org and let us know. But uh, thank you in advance. Okay, uh, this is our third week in this series, Who Do We Think We Are? We're going through the New Testament letter of Ephesians written by a, a guy named Paul. And uh, <clears throat> it's important as we go through this book, as we go through this letter, to, uh, to notice or to be aware that uh, this letter was written with a very strong, a very purposeful focus on we versus on me. Thus, thus the title, Who Do We Think We Are? And uh, we together are the church. We together are, are the people of God. We together are the body of Christ, and in a culture that is very focused on me, uh, for some of us, for some of us, our takeaway from this series will be to start putting a higher priority on the we of the church, meaning, you know, uh, being quicker to ask the question, what is better for us in this situation versus what is better for me in this situation? For, for instance, like working with our kids, did he, did he just do what I, yes, I did. Uh, but as we look at Ephesians, I'm confident that there's going to be takeaways. There's going to be lots to go around uh, in this series. I remember as a teenager hearing a preacher talk about the book of Ephesians, and he called it, he referred to it as the treasure chest of God's blessings. And in my Bible, Ephesians is like six pages. It's, it's really short. But it really reads like a multivitamin uh, of just the wonderful love and plans that God has for anyone who's yes, who says yes to his invitation to follow him. Ironically, this letter was written by Paul from prison. And I think we, we, we go walking by that way too quickly. I mean, think about that. This letter, this multivitamin of, you know, the joy, the love, the peace, the hope, the power, the freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus was written from a jail cell. That's profound to me. That, that says a lot about the life-changing, uh, situation-impacting power of a relationship with Jesus. The passage we're going to look at today totally reflects that imagery of the, you know, the treasure chest of God's blessings. It really looks uh, at the life-changing power of Jesus. It really reads, our passage today reads like, like the before and after for anyone who says yes 
uh, who says yes to Jesus. If, if you were raised in the church or if you've been around the church for a while, you've heard the, you know, the, the words or the phrase, my testimony. We talk a lot about our testimony. And basically your testimony is, it's your story. It's your story of how you met Jesus and how meeting Jesus has, has impacted, has changed your life. And, and when the Bible talks about us being witnesses, uh, sharing our faith, like, that's what it's referring to. Sharing your faith is basically sharing your story. I mean, being a witness, sharing your faith. Evangelism basically is, hey, let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life. Let me tell you how he loves me. Let me tell you about how he accepts me. Let me tell you about how he, uh, he forgives me in spite of me. That's what it means to be a witness. And did you know that if you attend our Vision and Values class, which is the uh, pathway to membership, or if you want to get baptized here at VCDC, uh, you're going to be asked to fill out a form that has, that has three points. Uh, first, describe your life before encountering Jesus. What led you to make a decision to follow Jesus? Describe your life since entering into a relationship with Jesus. That, if you can, you know, fill out that form, that's your testimony. That's, that's your story. That's a snapshot of your before and after with Jesus, what, what we'll, be, we'll see in the passage today. And for some of you, really, that's why you're here today. For some of you, that's your homework this week, to go sit down and, and answer that. Fill in those three points, because that really uh, is so important for you to know, you know your story, your, your testimony. So uh, before we get into the text, let's pray, and then we'll look at uh, this book, of, uh, the letter of Ephesians. So Lord, we thank you for your presence here we thank you for uh, your invitation to come close today. I pray for each one of us, young and old in this room, I pray that you wouldn't let it be uh, just another Sunday. I pray that your presence, your active presence, would really surprise us today. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're at Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. <coughs> Excuse me. You can look it up in your Bible or on your phone or follow along on the screens. I'm going to read the whole passage here to get us started. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's a multivitamin. <laughs> There's so much in there. Uh, in that section, we see those three points I referred to earlier. Our life before Jesus, meeting Jesus, and our life with Jesus. And that basically is going to be my talk today. Those are my three points. Uh, but where this talk is going is, is here. Uh, for us to do the good works that God has for us in this life, 
it is crucial that we know how lost we were and how found we are. So that's, that's sort of where I'm going today. So number one is our life before Jesus. Right? How would you describe the human life before Jesus? Uh, uh, you know, what does it look like, uh, the human life without Jesus? Well, verses 1 to 3 answer that, so let me read them to us again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, before Jesus, Paul says, basically, we were dead in our sins. And when you read sins and transgressions, basically it's the same thing. It's, it's, you know, dis, it's disobeying God. It's missing the mark uh, missing the mark of the, of the life that God intended for us. And what we see in this passage is that this, this, this dead place, this lifeless place, we're trapped there by the ways of the world. The ways of this world go uh, against the ways of God. They're hostile to the ways of God. We're trapped there because of the work of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's just another name for the devil. And, and the devil's work is to keep us in that dead place, in that place of unbelief, in that place of disobedience to God. It says we're trapped there because of our own brokenness. And the Bible talks a lot about our flesh. But know that when the Bible talks about our flesh, it's not referring to like our exterior flesh. It's talking about something so deep inside all of us that there's a broken place inside all of us because of sin. And from that broken place, our cravings, our desires, our thoughts uh, are, come from that place. And they are also hostile to the ways of God. So before Jesus, we are very lost. We're not just sick. Uh, Paul says that without Jesus, we are dead in our sins. And then it goes on to add to that. And because of our sins, we are now living these lives or in a place of being under God's wrath. So thanks for joining us today. We'll end it there. No, okay, that seemed funny to me. But wait a minute. Uh, how can Paul say that they were dead, right? As for you, you were dead. Like that doesn't make sense to me because they had to have been alive. They had to have been alive to do all that transgressing, to do all that uh, sinning. So what kind of death was Paul talking about? Well, he's not referring to a physical death. Paul is referring to a spiritual death. Meaning, what he means is, uh, uh, just like a physically dead person is unresponsive to physical activity or stimuli, like, hey, hey, can you hear me? Like, wake up. There's no, there's no response. So a spiritually dead person is unresponsive to spiritual activity, to spiritual stimuli. stimuli. Meaning, apart from Jesus, we are dull, we are deaf, we are blind to the ways and presence of God. And Paul uh, writes about this in another one of his letters. Uh, he refers to the Jewish people who were, you know, chosen by God to be his people. But, but because of their blindness, because of their uh, spiritual blindness, to, uh, because of their dullness, deafness, etc., to the things of God. And he talks about that blindness like a veil, like a veil over their eyes. But because of their blindness, they were not able to see the Son of God who was right in front of them. They missed it. 
They missed Jesus. They totally rejected Jesus. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the spiritual blindness is taken away. Again, before Jesus, we, we, are, we are lost. We are, we are dead. We're dull. We're deaf. We're blind to the ways of God. But I love verse 16, right? Verse 16 is so simple, and it's so generous, and it really, it's an invitation, because what does it say? It says, but whenever, like whenever, like right now, or this afternoon, or tomorrow, or next week, or next month, but whenever anyone anyone, rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, even Canadians, whenever anyone turns to the Lord. But look at that. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil is taken away. Whenever anyone turns to to the Lord, they are awakened. They're awakened spiritually. That dead part comes alive. And, you know, uh, I've shared this before. My wife, Helen, was born in England. And when she was three months old, she was adopted. Uh, not by Prince Charles. I've said, are you sure? But she said, no, it was not Prince Charles. But she, she was adopted. Uh, and when our first son was three months old, something came alive in her heart, a desire to connect with her birth mother. And so uh, it took a while to, to find each other. But when they did, and I know sometimes it's not a good thing, but this was a wonderful reunion. Uh, they, they started a relationship. And it turns out that Helen's birth mother, her name was Pat, uh, was a very spiritual person. Uh, she prayed to someone. She uh, would go on these pilgrimages in Europe. And uh, uh, she, you know, she tried very hard to be a good person. She totally was a seeker, but really had nothing to do with God. In fact, she said to Helen one time, she said, I think my God is different uh, than your God. And uh, she visited us a few times here in Ohio. And whenever she would come to Ohio, she would go to church with us. And in those days, we were, we were uh, still down at Vineyard Columbus. And on her second visit, uh, we were at church. And uh, 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 at, the end of the, at the end of the message, Rich Nathan, like he does m- many, many times, Rich Nathan gave an invitation to start a relationship with Jesus, uh, you know, to turn to Jesus. And Pat, you know, was sitting with Helen. She reached over and grabbed Helen's hand and said, stand up with me. And together they stood up and Pat gave her life to Jesus. And something changed in Pat. Like, I remember her saying after that, suddenly it all makes sense. Suddenly Christmas makes sense. Suddenly Easter makes sense. Suddenly nature makes sense. Suddenly prayer and having a higher power and wanting to do good things in this life, suddenly it all makes sense. It It was like her life took on a whole new meaning, a whole new perspective. What, what happened to her? She was awakened spiritually. Without Jesus, we are spiritually dead, dull, deaf, blind to the ways of God. On our own, we are hopelessly lost. But when we turn to him, then we're found, and suddenly we are awakened to his presence. So how does this awakening happen? Uh, number, second point. Second point is meeting Jesus. 
right, before Jesus, meeting Jesus. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, the message of Jesus, you know, the good news, the gospel, it's a very personal message. It's a very personal invitation. We see it all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all throughout the gospels where Jesus is constantly calling people to himself, come to me, come to me. That's really what it means to be a Christian. It means, you know, you're, you're invited into a relationship with Jesus. Being a Christian, it's not, you know, embrace these set of rules, embrace these values, embrace these plans. Being a Christian is Jesus saying to a human being, embrace me. Take hold of me. And let me then teach you about the rules, about the values, about the plans, etc. So at the end of verse 3 in our passage, we discovered that we were dead and lost. But look at verse 4. It says, but, in some of your Bibles it says, but God. But, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This, what I just read, captures what happens when someone meets Jesus, when someone turns to Jesus. First thing it says there is that when we turn to Jesus, it says that we are made alive with Christ. Meaning there's a, there's a spiritual awakening to the things of God. And it's like the story I told about Helen's uh, birth mom, Pat. But notice this. This is so important. Notice that this awakening happens when we were still dead in our sins. Now, that's profound to me because that, mean, that means that when God did this work in your life, it wasn't like he was looking over, you know, humanity and said, hey, hey, there's a guy who's really got, getting it together, right? Let's, let's go after him. Or, you know, there's a lady who's really cleaned up her act. Let's, let's go after her. Or, you know, it's like, it's, that's not what drew God's attention our way. You know what it was? It was? The text tells us it was because of his great love that God pursued you, that God pursued me. Romans 5, verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him and whoever turns to him will have everlasting life. Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever turns to Jesus, will be awakened spiritually. And this awakening, this awakening was made available through the cross, what we celebrated during the season of, of Lent and Easter. And basically, it's Jesus comes to us in our broken, trapped places. And in those places, he extends this invitation Come to me. Take hold of me. I can help you. I can, I can give you life. Right? And that change happens, the awakening, the veil's removed when anyone, when any person says yes, when anyone turns to Jesus. Second, it says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. I've heard that most of my life, but I'm like, what does that mean? That's just such a mystery, that, that verse. Well, I think it's helpful in understanding what that means. If you remember uh, two weeks ago when 
uh, Andrew kicked this series off. He talked about, you know, uh, how God, God adopts us. When you say yes to Jesus, God adopts us into his family. And that, that's, what this verse, that's what this verse is talking about. When you say yes to Jesus, you're adopted in, you're now related to Jesus. I mean, think about that. Jesus is your brother. He's your brother. God, God is your father. And, and, and again, that's what, this verse is pointing to that. Like, this is now how God sees anyone, anyone who belongs to him. How does he see you, if that's you? He sees you sitting with his boy, Jesus, seated with his boy, Jesus, around the family table in, in heaven. And notice that it's not something that is going to happen one day, but it says that it basically, that it's something that has happened already. Like, that's such a mystery to me. Like, we have been raised. We are seated. We have been seated with Christ in heavenly realms. So while we're not yet there physically, what the text says is that we are there now spiritually. And that is, that is something we talk a lot, we talk about a lot in the vineyard, that now and not yet. Right? We live in this tension between the now and the not yet, meaning this side of heaven now we get tastes, don't we, of the presence and power of God. Wonderful tastes. And we need those tastes because they, you know, they encourage us, they strengthen our faith, and we need them because we will not experience the fullness of God's presence and power until then, right? Until, until the not yet, the now and, and the not yet. And so that visual, that visual of being seated with Jesus around the family table uh, in heavenly places, that's a taste of what's to come. It's both where we are and where we are going. And, and here's the thing where I'm going with this. Like this might even sound a little, I don't know, snobby or uh, I don't know why that comes to my mind. But, but if, if, if a person is spiritually dead, if a person is spiritually dull to the, to the ways and presence of God, what I just read, that mystery, that truth of right now being seated with Jesus in the heavens probably sounds foolish. It probably sounds a little silly, like fairy tale-ish. But if a person is spiritually alive, if a person has been awakened spiritually, uh, awakened to the presence of God, that mystery, that truth, does it not give you life? Does it not encourage you? Does it not give you a sense of identity? I'm his brother. I'm seated at the family table. Does it not, you know, does it not strengthen your faith? So, how does this awakening happen? Well, first of all, I love how Paul goes out of his way to make it crystal clear. It's almost like if he'd written in the text, now read my lips, right? It's like he says, uh, uh, you know, there's basically that other than turning to God, there's nothing we can do to make this awakening happen. He says, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by earning it. You're not saved by your accomplishment. You're saved by grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved, the undeserved love and mercy of God. You, we are saved by grace. You can't earn it. In fact, he goes so far as to say, it's a gift. It's a gift. What do you do with the gift? You receive it, and then you enjoy it. So, how does this awakening happen? Well, if our condition, if our plight is, is a state of spiritual death, well then wouldn't the solution be 
spiritual resurrection. And, and I've said uh, a couple times about the invitation of Jesus, you know, this personal invitation. And in John chapter 3, we see Jesus extending this invitation. This time he's using uh, different language. And in the story, one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, a guy named Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night. And he comes at night because uh, it would not be a popular thing amongst his peers to be hanging out with Jesus. Uh, but, but something has hooked this guy's heart. And he's going to Jesus because he's curious. How do I take hold? How do I take hold of, of what you are inviting people into? And Jesus responds to him this way in John 3, 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can take hold of what I'm offering unless they are born again. And he said, how can someone be born when, uh, when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Notice the language in his response. It's, you know, Jesus is like, it's, it's, it's not... To see the kingdom of God, to be adopted into, into God's family, to be awakened spiritually, you need to change. You need to figure this out. You need to attain this level of spirituality. That's not it at all. What does he say? He says, simply, he says, you need to be born again. Now, that is super uh, profound. Because what does that tell us about how this awakening happens? It tells us that something needs to happen to you. Something needs to happen to me that we cannot accomplish on our own. Like, I, I don't remember being born. I'm assuming I was, though, because I'm here. But, but I vividly remember the birth of our, of our, two, of our two sons. And, and, you know, when I think back to that time, I remember my back was a little sore. And uh, just leaning over. But I remember... <laughs> I remember... As far as our boys, they just went with the flow, right? What was their part? I mean, like they were birthed. They didn't birth themselves. Helen gave birth to them. Well, it's the same for us. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can awaken the human spirit. It's why in the vineyard we pray over and over. What do we pray? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If you don't awaken us, we're going to go through this life dead and dull to the ways and presence of God. Come, Holy Spirit, awaken us. Awaken us to you. So, uh, before Jesus, we're lost, dead spiritually. When we meet Jesus, we are found and made an alive spiritually. Final point, our life with Jesus. Our life with Jesus. Uh, let's read the final verse, verse 10 together. Okay, we read with me? Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're dead spiritually. Jesus invites us to himself and saying, yes, we become spiritually alive. And now for the rest of our lives, we, uh, uh, God has good works for us to do. So I think a fair question then is, so what are the good works? What are the good works that God has for us to do? And I, uh, I would bet the farm, if I, if I had a farm, that where most of our minds go in hearing that question is to our performance. 
is to our religious Christian performance. Well, you know, uh, our good works are, you know, basically me avoiding sin, uh, reading the Bible, going to church, giving of my time, giving of my money, being nice to people, you know, don't cuss, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang with folks who do. I mean, like rules to live by, right? But, and those are all, I hope you wrote that down, those are all good things, because some of you need it, some of you <laughs> know, but those are all good things. But what the text is pointing us to is something very different. It's actually something very liberating. What, the, what are the good works that God has for us in this life? Well, if you're following along in, in the text in Ephesians, you'll probably have noticed uh, that I skipped verse 7. Right? So let me read the, uh, that verse 7, but I'll start on 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What are the good works? You know what the good works are? That you and I would be put on display as followers of Jesus. We would be put on display for all the world to see. For all the world to see in your life and through your life the incomparable riches of God's kindness. And God's grace towards you. That the world would see in and through your life his works. Not yours. His accomplishment. Not yours. That, that the world would see in you what it looks like to be a broken human being who has been rescued by God. And who continues to be rescued by God. That the world would see in your life uh, you know, someone who has been awakened spiritually. And who continues to be awakened spiritually to the wonders of God. To the wonders of his love and his grace and his kindness and his forgiveness and his power and his provision and on and on and on. Our good works in this life is to freely receive what we do not deserve. To freely receive what we could never earn and then to freely give it away. That's being a witness. That's really, that's what, that when, you know, if you think, what do I share with people if, if, in sharing my faith? That's what you share. Let me tell you about my life before Jesus. I was dead. I was trapped. Let me tell you what's happened now since I've met Jesus. Let me tell you about my life now with Jesus. And remember I said in my intro, for us to do the good works that God has for us in this life, it is crucial that we know how lost we were and how found we are. And I wonder, as I, as I look around the room, I wonder if, if if it's hard for some of us, maybe most of us, to do the good works because we've forgotten how lost we were and or how incredibly found we are. Uh, let me end with this. Why don't we have the band? You guys can come on back and, and get set up. Do you want to throw that picture up, Doug? This is a picture that I have in my office. I have it on the wall right, right close to my desk so I can sit at my desk and I can look at this picture. And uh, uh, it's a picture by Rembrandt. And it's, it's, it's called The Return of the Prodigal. It's not, I don't have the original. <laughs> it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. But it's, but it's based on, look at that picture. It's based on the story of the prodigal son. Such a beautiful story, right? It's based on the story where the son, you know, he dishonors, he disrespects his father, takes his inheritance, leaves home, goes off to the, to the city, squanders his money on crazy living, and, and basically messes up his life to the point that he, you know, he hits rock bottom and he has nothing. And in this picture, the, the guy on his knees with his back to us, that's the son. 
and he has now come home to his father. This failure of his son has come home, and look at the father who's leaning over him and embracing him. Right? And if you're familiar with the story, the, the story says that the father saw that ragged son a long way off, and the father ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And, and, you know, and in this picture, he's restoring him to his place to sonship. And I ordered that picture uh, after, like a week after I heard a speaker say this, to the extent that you have been the son, you will now be able to turn to others and be the father. See, for us to do the good works that God has for us in this life, it's crucial that we know how lost we were and how found, how incredibly found we are. So do you know that? Like, do you know that you have been forgiven? Do you live from that place? Do you know that you've been adopted? Is that where you live your life from? Do you know that God loves you and accepts you just the way you are? Like, do you know that? Do you know deep down inside that he's committed to finish the work that he's started in you? Do you know that? See, if you don't understand that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to awaken that in you to awaken that truth in your life so that you're, it's just going to naturally shine out of you as you live your life. So why don't we stand up? Boy. Woo. We're going to go back into worship. And here's my prayer as, we, as, as the team leads us in worship. I've been praying all week. Come, Holy Spirit. Awaken. Awaken those truths in us as we worship. For some of you, it's awakening you the joy of your salvation. So uh, uh, feel free as we worship to take communion. Uh, if you didn't grab the elements here in the back, if you feel like God gives you a word or a picture, a scripture uh, for the church, come on up here, Andrew, and I'll be over in this corner. But let me just pray for us, and then we'll go back into worship. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. I ask that you would come and do what we cannot do. I pray all over this room that you would come and awaken us. Awaken us to the ways and presence of God. Just come, Lord. We welcome you here. Let's, let's worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.